We're in 1 Peter here at West Hills. Essentially, we preach through books of the Bible. Time to time, we break out and have topical series, but even then, the topic of the morning is going to be driven by a main passage of Scripture. But right now, we are working our way through the little epistle of 1 Peter, and uh, we're moving slowly, but effectively, I'd like to think, effectively. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word for this morning. We're going to be focusing on verses 14 through 16 of chapter 1, but I've included verse 13 from last week just to put it in a sort of a context. Let's read together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Please be seated. begin with a little congregational interaction this morning. I'm looking for responses. You need to raise your hand so I can call on you. I don't want chaos and bedlam. Um, Has there ever been a time in your life when you were forced to live in a very different manner than the way you were used to living? Abby. Working in the wilderness with teenage boys who had problems of their own, right? Yeah. Somebody else? Yep, Nadine? I spent a week in the rainforest and we stayed up in the huts. Okay. A little bit different than West County, right? Yeah. So you were forced to kind of acclimate and accommodate yourself to a totally different lifestyle. Yeah. Anybody else? Any military? Jackie? What about in the military? Yeah, when you join the military, you're kind of forced to live differently than the way you're used to living. Yeah. Um, when you go through a health, a serious health change, you have a stroke or you have a heart attack, you're forced to live differently than the way you used to live. The tribes people, Nadine's comment actually reminds, reminds me, I'm reading a book right now called Skeletons on the Zahara, and it's about a merchant ship, the Commerce. 15 that went from America to Europe and then down, was going to go down to Africa, and it shipwrecked on the coast of West Africa, and all of the sailors were scurrying for their lives, and then they ended up um, in the hands of Swahari nomadic tribes, people who were barbaric and extremely savage, and so they went from the lifestyle that they were used to being sailors to being slaves, and they were forced to live on the Sahara Desert in a very, very different way than what they were used to living. How about, how about uh, flip it over? Any of you voluntarily choose to live differently um, at some point in your life for some reason? Scott? What's that? Oh, yeah. That's, so you, ch- you voluntarily chose that. Yeah, as crazy as that is, <laughs> but it made a big difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, so a, a, a diet or a health issue 
you voluntarily choose to put yourself in the rigors of, of a change. Anybody else? Simplifying your lifestyle, downsizing, uh, moving from 2,000 square feet to 1,200 square feet, uh, moving, yep. Going to college, yeah, absolutely. Significant change, yeah. Um, in our study of 1 Peter, we've come to the place here in these verses where Peter is going to begin telling them and God's going to begin telling us about living differently. Not because they're forced to, but really because living differently fits with their new identity through faith in Christ. Your new identity brings about a change in the way you live. You're not going to live the way you used to live before you knew Jesus. And it's all because of who they are in Christ. So let's review and remind ourselves a little bit of what Peter has told us thus far in the first 12 verses, those things that are true of us. He tells them that they are the elect. Elect means selected, chosen by God from before the foundation of the world by God's grace. That they are exiles, that this is not their permanent home. They are strangers, aliens here, not completely at home. We have a better home awaiting. Foreknown, Peter said. God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Sanctified by the Spirit. Sanctified means sanctified. Being, you are being perfected by the Spirit of God. Cleansed, sprinkled by Christ's blood, Peter wrote. Sins removed, sins forgiven, as far as the east is from the west, taken away from you, cast into the deepest ocean. Recipients of God's mercy, he told us in, chapter, in the first 12 verses. You've received God's mercy. You've been born again. You believe in Jesus. You didn't used to. Now you believe in Jesus. You don't only, not only believe in him, you love him. You love Jesus. You possess a living hope, a hope that's going to sustain you through the hard times of this life and a hope that points you to the next life. You are currently being guarded by God himself through faith. And then the last thing he told us is, you are heirs beyond compare. You have received an inheritance. You are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so as a result of all that, then Peter gets to verse 13, 14, 15, 16, and on into the epistle, where he's saying, you're not choosing to live differently in order to win God's favor. Look at the first 12 verses. No, you're choosing to live differently because God in Christ has abundantly shown you his favor. The list that we just looked at. Friends, you need to understand this as we talk about your personal conduct. Otherwise, you'll get it all twisted up. You'll get it all wrong. You'll be choosing to live differently in order to curry God's favor, in order to prove to him that he made a good decision in saving you, whatnot. No, you need to understand that your personal conduct is because of what God has done for you in Christ. In calling you to live differently, I put it this way. God is saying to you, I don't want you to live to win my love. I want you to live in my love. God says that to you every day as a child of God, as a child of his. That's where I want you to live. I want you to live in my love. You don't have to win my favor. I set my favor on you when you were still in your sins. 
I set my favor on you when you were following the godless way of the world. I came after you with my love while you were running away from me. The hound of heaven pursuing you. God says, I set my love on you not when you were at your best. I set my love on you when you were at your worst. Look again in Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Here's the gospel, friends. Now, in verse 13 that Will covered last week, Peter begins to make the transition from this is who you are in Christ to this is how you should live in Christ. And it flows out of this is how, this is who you are in Christ. Because of who you are, this then is the appropriate way to live. Live in such a way that your conduct matches your identity. Peter transitions with that little word, therefore. Remember the rule? Whenever you see the word, therefore, ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, it's always a bridge word. It's always a connector. It's always connecting two ideas. And so he's connecting the first 12 verses with what he has to say about how they should live their lives. And so with verse 13, Peter begins to tell them how elect, foreknown, sanctified, cleansed, born again, People who believe in Jesus, people who have received God's mercy, people who love Jesus, people who are being guarded by God through their faith, people who have received an inheritance that can never perish, never, never be taken away from you, how those kinds of people should then live, okay? Because we should live differently than those for whom those things are not true. So last week... He said, prepare, gird up your minds, be sober-minded, think soberly, think clearly, and then set your hope fully on future grace. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And by the way, isn't it amazing? It starts with grace, and what does it do? It ends with grace. And then this morning, Peter spins, spins it out even further. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Let's break this down a little bit. He begins by saying, as obedient children. And so again, in making the transition, he makes a reference to their identity. He says, remind yourselves, you are children of God. You are God's sons and daughters. That's who you are. That's your identity. God's family. We didn't used to be. No. We used to be, Ephesians 2, what? Sons and daughters of disobedience. 
We used to be children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but now you are children of God. But then Peter also includes the adjective obedient, as obedient children. And so the assumption is that obedience will be a primary, predominant characteristic of those men and women and young people who have received God's favor. It'll be a predominant characteristic of our lives. Obedience, as obedient children. Not as spoiled children, not as renegade, rebellious children, no, as obedient children. And so we've gone from being children of wrath to being children of God and children of blessing. We've gone from being sons and daughters of disobedience to being sons and daughters who want to learn to obey the Father who loves us. And then Peter gives us four key components having to do with being obedient children. The first one has to do with conformity. It says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Conformed. To form together. To be molded and shaped. To make something look like another thing. A man who used to be a part of our church, Dr. Joe Eads, he was a renowned plastic surgeon here in St. Louis, and he went to be with the Lord a few years ago, and I had the honor of doing his memorial service. But his hobby on the side, which fits right in with being a plastic surgeon, was bird carving. And he was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. He would take a piece of wood, and actually, initially, he... He would decide what bird he wanted to carve, and then he would carefully study all the detailed intricacies of that particular bird through pictures and descriptions and diagrams. And then he would take that piece of wood and carve it and shape it and sand it to look, and then finally paint it to look exactly like a real bird. And if you saw these birds perched on different settings in his living room, you would think it was the real thing. He had several dozen of them. That's what it means to conform. To make something look like another thing. But Peter says, don't conform. Don't look like that other thing when it's the wrong thing. Let's stick with the bird imagery. You used to be a turkey vulture. Okay? Actually, let's, let's make it Let's bring it down. Jesse came out this morning and said, um, Dad, you talk about me in the sermon today? And I said, wasn't planning on it. But let me see what I can do. You used to be a dodo bird. You familiar with Sesame Street? Big Bird, Follow That Bird. One of Jesse's favorite movies is Follow That Bird. And... Uh, bird is Big Bird, living on Sesame Street, and then the social worker, Miss Finch tells Big Bird that he needs to be living in an environment with only other birds so that he can look and act like other birds. And so she sends him to live with a family of dodos who live in Illinois. Of course they do. <laughs> they do, seriously. Probably because they're Cub fans. But, <laughs> but in the process, Big Bird realizes he's not a dodo. He's not a dodo. 
See, Peter is saying, don't be a dodo because you're an eagle. Don't be conformed to what you, you used to be dodo birds. We all used to be dodo birds. But God's given us a brand new identity. A brand new identity. As obedient children, as baby eagles, don't live like other birds. They don't live the, don't live the way you used to live. You used to live, Peter says, according to the passions of your former ignorance. What does that mean? Well, think about it. You used to be ignorant of Jesus. You used to be ignorant of the Father sending his only Son. You used to be ignorant of the gospel. You used to be ignorant of God's mercy. You used to be ignorant of your sins. You used to be ignorant of the wrath of God. You used to be ignorant of the mercy and compassion and grace of God. You didn't know these things. And so, as a result, you were driven by your passions, he says. You were driven by your old nature. You were driven by your Adamic nature, the nature you got from your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam. The passions of your former ignorance. You were driven by your old nature. You were driven by selfishness. You were driven by greed. You were driven by lust. You were driven by anger and deceit and pride and envy. You were driven by jealousy. You were driven by self-will. You were driven by impure thoughts. You were driven by immoral habits. You were driven by hatred, by prejudice, by stealing, by lying, by coveting, by committing adultery. You were driven by slander and gossip judging others. But now, Peter says, you've been given a new nature. You've been born again. You've been born of God. You've been made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And so he's saying, you don't have to keep living like that. You might still slip into it from time to time, but you don't, you don't want to stay there. Your sins have been crucified. They haven't been mortified. They still need to be put to death. You still have dodo bird tendencies in you. And they've got to go. They don't belong anymore. Now, there's a negative side of conformity and a positive side, as you can imagine. Negative... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, meaning this world's ways, this world's systems. But then the positive, Romans 8, those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So you want to be conformed, you just want to be conformed to the right thing. You don't want to be conformed to the patterns of the world. You want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The Father, the Father loves you so much, friends, that he wants you to look more and more and more and more like his dearly beloved son. That's what the Spirit of Christ within you is trying to pull off. The Spirit of Christ within you is trying to pull off an extreme makeover. to do a radical change so that the, you will look less and less and less and less degree by degree by degree like you used to look and more and more and more and more degree by degree by degree, day by day by day, 
more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is committed to that. He has invested himself in that venture. We all, 2 Corinthians 3, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that positive conformity. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So that's the first component in what it means to work out this whole thing about being obedient children. The second is your call. Verse 15, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you. Second component, the call of God upon your life. So what does it mean when Peter writes to these Christians telling them that God has called them? Peter uses the same word throughout his epistle. Chapter 2, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 2.21, to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Chapter 3, verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. 5.10, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So it's an important enough principle or truth for Peter that it runs all the way through his epistle. The idea that the people of God are called by God. We find it in his second epistle as well. Chapter 1, verse 3, and chapter 1, verse 10. Now, the Apostle Paul points out that the call of God is a vital part of how God brings salvation to his people, without which people are not saved. He writes, Zait, we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers, millions upon millions, whom God will call to himself. Those whom he predestined, he also called Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is rich stuff. Now, friends, you can't take called out of that progression of things that God does in making for himself a people for his own possession. Work those verses backwards. Those who are glorified are those whom God has justified. Those who are justified are those whom God has called. Those who are called are those whom God predestined to be conformed to the image or likeness of his Son, and those who are predestined are those whom God foreknew. And so if you were to put all that on a timeline, just sort of picture this thread that stretches all the way across the room, 
both, that includes both time and before time and after time, okay? An eternal thread. Stretched out. Paul stretches the timeline of one's salvation back into eternity past, on the one hand, into the foreknowledge and predestination of God. Before time. Then he stretches the timeline out into eternity future, into the day when you will receive your glorified body. Glorified. In the time portion of that thread, you are called and you are justified. Sanctified. Adopted. All of those things happen right in here. So what is the call of God? Well, there is the external, we've got to make a differentiation here, there is the external uh, general gospel call that's issued to people when the gospel's proclaimed. When I stand up here and preach, when, when Franklin Graham brings the gospel to thousands and thousands of people in a stadium, for example, when you share the gospel over a cup of coffee, when the, when the shoeboxes go to various reaches of the world, the general gospel call will be included in those shoeboxes. When you tweet or blog the gospel through social media and people hear it, people see it, people read it, there's the internal individual effective call of God. You see, the external general call of the gospel gets heard with the ears. The internal call of God gets heard with the heart. The external general gospel call is preached, proclaimed, it's issued to all people. The external gospel call can be rejected, dismissed, ignored. People can walk away from it unaffected. The general gospel call can be ineffectual. Whereas the call of God, Peter is talking about here, to these believers, is the internal call call of God that goes to the heart. It quickens a person's spirit. It's individual in the particular person with his mercy and his grace and his love. And friends, the call of God is always effective. It always accomplishes that which it sets out to do. If God did not do this, you've got to understand, if God did not do this, no one would come. No one would hear with the heart. No one would be saved. Let me make it personal. This is why on that night in 1971, when as an 18-year-old senior in high school, sitting in a movie theater, watching a movie that presented the gospel along with a couple of hundred other people that night in the theater, that I, along with a very small handful of others, responded with a compelling, yes. Yes, Lord. I believe. While many others who were there that night went home completely unaffected. Is there mystery in all of that? Absolutely. Is there more there than our finite, puny little minds can comprehend? No doubt. But that is what this book teaches. 
Now understand, I needed to hear the external gospel call. And I was responsible for what I did with it. You see, the general call is what God uses to communicate the good news. That's why he sends, sends missionaries. He says, go and make disciples. Go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go with the gospel. That's what God uses to communicate the good news of Jesus. And that is what God uses to hold people responsible. Paul emphasizes this in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Gary, can you show us a clear example of that in the Bible? Yeah, one stands out pretty clearly. Lydia in Acts 16 It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You've you got to have both. You've got to have both. Lydia needed two things. She needed to hear what Paul had to say. She needed to hear about Jesus. She needed to hear the gospel. And she needed for the Lord to open her heart. That's exactly what I needed that night in 1971. And so back to the call. Other verses that describe the effective call of God and what it is that God calls us to. I'll just give you a list of verses up on the screen. He's called you out of darkness into his light. He's called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus. He calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The apostles, they were called by God to be apostles. Called to belong to Jesus. Called to become saints. God has called you to peace. He has called you to freedom. He has called you to hope. He has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. And he has called you to eternal life. So that's a key component in living differently as obedient children. You need to think about the call of God upon your life. Think about the call of God. Thirdly, character. And here we're talking about the character of God. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you, what? Is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the character or the nature of the one who has called you. He is holy. See, the aspect of God's character or nature that God laid the most stress on in the Old Testament is his holiness. Some 430 times, give or take, you have it described, God is described as being holy and his holiness and his holy place and his holy name. <clears throat> now, in the New Testament, the aspect of God's character that probably gets the most emphasis is the fact that he's our Father, 
Does that mean he's not holy? No, it means that we have a holy father. But Jesus came and introduced to us that aspect of his character that the Old Testament didn't really emphasize as much. He's our father, and that's so you pray to him, our father who art in heaven. But in the Old Testament, that could almost be stated to be sort of the, the, the motto text to sum up the theme of the whole Old Testament are those verses having to do with his holiness. So you, well, what's the basic idea, Gary, of what it means to be holy? Holy expresses itself in separation, separateness, being set apart from. God is set apart from all other creatures. God is set apart from his creation. He is set apart through his, his greatness, his omnipotence. He knows, he, he, has, he has all knowledge, omniscience, his sovereignty. God is totally set apart from us and his world. That makes him holy. He's also set apart in his purity. He has never sinned. He's never caused anybody to sin. He can't look on iniquity. God is pure. A passage that probably captures the holiness of God as well as any is Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah wrote this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, the angels. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and he is holy, holy, holy. Peter says, as he who called you is holy. And so a key component of our being obedient children is the holiness of the one who has called us. We cannot diminish that. We can, cannot sort of make it go away. We cannot act as if he's not holy. We cannot act as if he's willing to sort of play around with that which is unholy. Friends, our Father is holy. Our Savior is holy. The Spirit who lives within you is the Holy Spirit. Which leads to component number four, conduct. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so Peter is saying, in light of God's call, in light of God's character, this is what it means for you, for those who have been called, for those who have been born again, for those who are now children of God, be holy, be separate, be different. It's not being forced upon you. Rather, it is assumed and expected. Did the reason, Peter gives us both the reason and the motivation for your personal holiness, and it's God. God is holy and God has called you. And so, 
it kind of goes without saying, it's not a very low standard, is it, by anyone's measurement? It's not a low standard. When, when God says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy, can you raise the bar any higher? It's not a low standard by any means, but friends, would you want for God to issue a low standard for your life? Would you, would you want for God to say, you know, I really don't care how you live. It makes no difference to me. If you want to keep living like dodo birds, go right ahead. There will be consequences. Would you really want that? Or would you want for a holy God to want his sons and daughters to be like him? Would you want for a holy Savior to want those for whom he died to be like him? So you need to hear those words as coming from your heavenly Father. This is not your drill sergeant barking at you. This is your heavenly Father beckoning you. This is Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke, my holy yoke is easy and my holy burden is light. See, friends, your conduct goes back to who you are. It goes back to your call. It goes back to the character of God. You say, well, Pastor Gary, what do you do when some of your conduct isn't very holy? You fall on your father's lap. In confession and repentance. Because you know that your father will always be there to receive you with his compassion and his steadfast love. He'll always be there to forgive. You will always find steadfast love and forgiveness with the Father. You will always find your Heavenly Father there to encourage you like you parents encourage your children when they fall. You will always find the compassion that a loving Father has for his sons and daughters. Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Conformity, don't be conformed, be conformed. Call, think often on the call of God. Character, remind yourself daily of the character of the God who has saved you, and then conduct. How then should we live? How then will you live this week? Will you live differently because of these things? Let's read it again. Read it with me. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it penetrates so well into our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Thank you that it is not a word that completely annihilates us. 
but it is a word that deals realistically with us, but also gives us such great hope. You do not want for your children to live the way we used to live, and it's because of your love, and it's because of your holiness. You want for us to be like you, and that is such a very, very good thing. And so I pray for myself, Lord. I pray for my, fam- <clears throat> my family. <clears throat> I pray for my church family. May we, degree by degree, look more and more like Jesus. That others might see Jesus in us. And that we might bring you great honor through our lives. We pray in Christ's name. God's people agreed by saying...